I think the, the thing that trips me up the most is this idea that someone would just finish work that Carol started or that Carol <laughs> would finish work someone else started. I feel like I'm just an emotional child when it comes to my code. And I have this <laughs> extreme sense of ownership. Yep. And, I, and, and if I came in one day and someone was just like, oh, I saw some of the stuff you're writing. So I just added a bunch to it. I'd be like, serenity now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Good point. Like circle back to that. That's what happened up front when I switched over and started working like this because I've never done this before in my life. I've never worked like this. It was an insult. I immediately went, my code's not good enough. Why are you even looking? Like, what's going on here? Like, did I messaged someone and was like, did I not do something right? And it was like, no, I just wanted to keep it going. I was like, oh, okay. So I can calm down. You know, my blood pressure can drop a little bit. (laughs) But there's like the attachment to it. So it took me a long time to go from it's mine to it's my team's. This is my team's. Welcome to Working Code, and now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Hey everybody, it is show number 43, and on today's show we're going to be talking about some pair programming. Hey, you know what guys, it's October. We are closing in on our first year of completeness. Or, wow. Or of, That's crazy. Yeah, well, that was awful, awfully put. Our first year of, <laughs> of recording this podcast, this thing we're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, less than 10 episodes, right? This is 43. We got nine more before we hit 52. A full year. Dang. Anyway, before we start on today's topic, we're going to start as usual with our triumphs and fails. And Tim, it's your turn to go first. Yeah. So I got a fail. So I, I thought I knew how SSL certificates worked, but today I learned how much I didn't know, particularly using when you're using a Java type program, you have your CA certs file and sometimes you have to go update manually update your CA, but then your certificate. So whatever your domain name is, it's google.com. The main level certificate just for your domain name, it, there's a chain, right? There's a certificate authority. We use Let's Encrypt and Let's Encrypt, because they are expiring on September 30th, they're expiring their root certificate. They have issued like intermediate certificates and cross-signing certificates so that in hopes that when September 30th rolls around, things don't break. But today, for some reason, I think, I really haven't figured out why, but so the certificate for one of our sites stopped working and a API was calling that site and just getting an error, a, a connection error. And it turns out it ha- was having an issue with one of those. Um, it didn't ha- basically have the intermediate certificate. And I think the reason was because it, we have scripts that automatically go and update the certificates. And for some reason it wasn't being done because there was a firewall change that needed to happen. And once that change happened, it went and got it and it didn't have the intermediate certificate. So, so it broke. But I mean, there's so much more to certificates than I thought reading up on it. I found an article by Pete Freitag. It had some really good information on it. And basically what he said not to do is what we were doing. And that was just, (laughs) (laughs) that was just going and getting the intermediate certificate and manually sticking it in into your CA certs. Hmm. So Uh apparently Java updates the CA certs pretty regularly. So you can go get that. Also uh, Mozilla keeps up a very up-to-date 
a version of a certificate authority list. And he has some links and articles there about how you can make, basically make your own CA certs file and just replace it so that you have all of the trusted root certificates, intermediate certificates, the cross sign certificates and things like that. So yeah, it, it opened my eyes just how ignorant I was of SSL certificate world. It's one of those things when it's working, you're just like, oh, great. But when it doesn't work and you have to go research it and learn it all over again, you just get like mind blown every time. And then I just always forget it again because it works for several years and I never yeah. touch it. Well, I mean, because we're using Less Encrypt, Less Encrypt really, they only want, want to issue 30 day certificates. We force it to do three month certificates. But I'm like, if I'm going to have to check stuff every three months, that's not tenable. We got to figure out a way to to uh, make sure that this is correct. So that's what I kind of was not what I was planning on working on today, but that's kind of what me and uh, our DevOps team got working on today. Yeah, I don't know anything about certificates. It's all very confusing to me. I I listened to an interview with the guy who started Let's Encrypt. I think maybe it was on the Software Engineering Daily podcast, maybe like a couple of years ago. And he was working on the Let's Encrypt project for like a solid decade before it became an actual thing and and started to get widely used. And it just, every time I hear about people who are so committed to something that they work on these, what I think is an extremely long timeline, I'm I'm just in awe. I, I feel like my attention span for work projects is like, if something's gonna go more than a month, it's very hard for me to wrap my head around. (laughs) <laughs> well, well, the good news is the new root certificate that they're issuing doesn't expire until 2035. So by then I'll be at retirement age and I won't have to worry about it. So <laughs> noise. How about you, Carol? What's up? Yeah, you got to fail? Gonna, you got to fail? Got to no, fail? No, I, I refuse to let this be the failure time. Like I'm going to make one of us be good. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to go with the triumph. I worked on a project months ago and this was before, you know, this big effort I had going on for a couple months and it was this big data import to basically automate how our users can use another set of data that we have. So we automate that com- like coming in for them. Right. So the business wanted to add this import to another set of like our, how would I describe this? Into another set of like our, uh, it's called our forms, but it's basically a type of data. Okay. So we're going to add all this back in. Well, I looked at how I had wrote some things before and I was like, it's okay to fix it because this was not great. So I am not even upset that I didn't get it right the first time. I'm just happy that I'm willing to go back and fix it. So I'm changing kind of how we loop over some of the data and how we're using it. And rather than recreating every time, recreating it every time, just because variable names are like differ between the two data sets when it's the same data, I'm just having it switch it rather than like actually go hard code every one of them. So now I've just created this little like list that does the conversion for me. And then it's just always there. So it's a lot cleaner. And now when you make a change to it, it's a lot smaller to change. And if we want to add more, it's just better. So I'm just happy that Mm -hmm. I looked at my old code was like, Hey, this isn't great. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to make it better going forward. So yeah, wins. Nice. Yeah, That's how you get better. It's awesome. Yeah. How about you, Adam? I've got a fail and it's a feature flag thing, but it's, I mean, I'm calling it a fail. It kind of is a fail, but it's just a fail of, of my my personal opinion or something. Um, so a while back, we put in the ability to do feature flags, and my coworkers have been using it and loving it. And my fail is I haven't got to do any of that. I haven't had any of that fun. I did all this work <laughs> to build the feature flag service and the API and the data storage and all that, and that was a lot of fun. But I'm not reaping any of the rewards yet. The only feature flag that like 
the only feature that I put behind a flag was a thing that just like proved that the feature flag service was working. That we could toggle <laughs> them on and off immediately. Just a little blurb of text that says, you are a developer on the admin dash pay, dashboard page. And I'm kind of sad about that. Although as we were like kind of transitioning into this for me, I, I started to think of something that would be a really good use case for a feature flag, which is we have, so we, among the many things that our product does, we have a event registration system and it's got very complicated pricing rules built in, right? You can have different types of people in your party. You can have adults and minors. You can have the primary person and their guests and, and you can have grandparents and the person that's a student versus a parent, like student relationship to the school. And, and so like all, and you can be in the alumni association and, and be a member. So there's all these different things that need to be taken into consideration. And there's a CFC that handles all of that currently and nobody wants to touch it. It's one of those things, right? It's a couple hundred, several hundred lines long and it's very function calls, another function calls, another function, 12 layers deep or whatever. It's very hard to wrap your head around. And I just thought that like, Hey, we could create an alternate implementation using feature flags. And like, if it doesn't work, just turn it off and, and rework it. So that would be fun. Heck yeah. But yeah, I haven't got to do a, a single thing with them yet. So I'm calling that a fail. Not eating your own dog food. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's making other people eat his dog food. But he just has to <laughs> Triumph. <it> to <laughs> he's like, I want to eat it. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's me. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with a failure. And it's a little bit of a strange one. Usually I talk about technology stuff. But this is The not boys all failed one. this week. Yeah. Man, you guys. Yeah. So I live up in New York state and over the weekend, my wife went down to visit her mother down in Maryland and I don't, I work from home. So we're together like all the time and, and I love it, but she works from home too. Yeah. And when she was down in Maryland, I have to say I got really lonely, which was like, like surprisingly lonely. And Mm -hmm. and I think, I think that was happening because I've been kind of overwhelmed at work and I think I lean on her just from a social construct standpoint when I'm not working to like prop me up and make me feel better. And I think being alone over the weekend, it, it made me become more aware of like how just run down and stressed and tired I am. And uh, oh. it was unnerving is maybe not the right word, but it was, I was taken back at how lonely I felt. Like usually when I'm alone, it's like time to rock out on some side hustle coding <laughs> and listen to some podcasts and just like rejuvenate. But mm-hmm. it's like, I didn't have any of that going on. I, I think I ended up just watching TV and probably mess with your schedule too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And you are a creature of habit. That's true. Was this your mm-hmm. first time apart since like for any no, significant we've been, uh, I was just, so the, the reason that I bring it up is yeah. I felt something that I feel like was probably kind of similar right before COVID my family went on a cruise. And we, so we, the four of us we were staying in the same like eight foot by 10 foot space for a week. Yeah. And we were on top of each other. And of course there was a certain amount of annoyance with that. But when we got home and the kids went back to school that first week that they were back to school, I have never missed them. Like I missed them. Just the kids <laughs> <laughs> never missed them. Like I missed them that week. Yeah. It was very strange. It's weird. It's like normally if I'm alone, I have this whole list of things I want to do. And usually I can't motivate to do all of them by any means. But it's nice to dream. But it's, yeah, it's nice to dream. And what I found is like I'd wake up in the morning and I do my sort of morning ritual stuff. And then I would just be like, what am I going to do with the rest of my day? Like there's so (laughs) much day ahead of me. (laughs) It was, 
I don't know. It was just sad, but I feel good now. I mean, I'm tired and run down, but I feel good. <laughs> so well, I'm glad you're in a better place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's me. Okay. Well, then let's talk about some pair programming. Yeah. Do you guys even pair program? Have you pair programmed before? I programmed about Apple. I one of us had to that make the, joke. the joke. Yeah, it took me a minute. Let's just get that out of the way. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've let's. I'll say I'm pair curious. I've experimented with some <laughs> I've pair programming. My toes in it. <laughs> right, but the the mm, where I got where I get stuck on it mentally is like the thing that I did. I would say it falls under the category of like obvious code. We weren't pair programming because we were trying to make the code any, like trying to solve a hard problem. We were pair programming to like try out pair programming. And this was several, several years ago at my last job. And it was myself and like our team lead and trying to experiment with it and see if it was something we were going to like make a normal thing for our team. And it was fine. The code we wrote was fine. We both understood it, which was a good thing. But it just didn't feel like it had huge benefits for us. And this is from like maybe spending a week together working on this. So not a huge amount of time. And that's all that came of it. Like we just kind of, it kind of went by the wayside after that. It, I think it does for a lot of people. What about you too, Ben? Have you pair programmed? I've like? never, I've put heads together to try to debug a problem. I'll be pulled into a screen share. I'll pull someone else into a screen share if someone's stuck. And that'll last like half hour, hour, maybe most. But yeah. I've never actually pair programmed as a paradigm of how we're going to do work. And the idea of it is very scary to me. I mean, it is. And it's like, intimidating. Just from an yeah. energy, emotional standpoint, it, it sounds like it would be exhausting. Hmm. Yeah, there, there are days that it's very, very challenging. So I'm looking at the definition, mm-hmm. right, of pair programming. And according to agilealliance.org, it is consists of two programmers sharing a single workstation, one screen, one keyboard, and mouse among the pair. Okay, first off, no developer only has one screen, so I take issue with that. <laughs> I only have one screen, Tim. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. So he's saying mm. you're not a developer, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, buddy. I demand uh, satisfaction. I can't imagine that. <laughs> anyway, the programmer at the keyboard is usually called the driver, and the other also actively involved in the programming task, but focusing more on the overall direction is the navigator. It's expected that the programmers swap roles every few minutes or so. So have I done that? No, absolutely not. Never. What we have done is kind of like, kind of what Ben said. You know, you're, you're dealing with a difficult problem. You go over to someone's computer and you stand there for maybe 30, 40 minutes and you work out an issue together. So yeah, this idea of pair programming is not something I've ever done, nor do I think I could ever get management, including myself as a manager, to uh, approve of. So, Yeah, so the troubleshooting side of it with pair programming, sure. I think most of us have done that if you've ever been in any type of lead position. Like people are going to come to you with challenges, they're going to come to you with problems, and you're going to have to go look at what they're looking at. And that's usually easier for me to like look at what they're seeing, like what they have open, than me trying to get into the code myself and figure out where they went, how they got there. Like, let me just start with where you're at right now. So that's one thing. And the pair programming you're describing is like how I see it on movies, right? It's like the the nerdy, someone's at the whiteboard drawing out like guides and things and someone's coding and then they jump back up and they switch back and forth. That's not exactly what I'm talking about here. Right. So the thing that we do is we actually, we've talked about before, we have the design buddies, right? So yeah. up front, we design together. But through the last two 
yeah, the last two big efforts I've done, we've actually pair programmed everything. So um, on this last one, we actually broke out the like the duties of the application and every person had their own objective to cover. So like I was handling all the authentication and I'm having to push up my code constantly, even if it's in a broken state, I'm having to constantly kind of push it up so that whoever's working in it has like a fresh version and has like something to debug, has something to look at how we're going with things. And we're constantly having to communicate back and forth just with where we're going, where we're stuck at. It it turns into like daily calls with, hey, here's where I'm at today. Here's what I'm doing right now. But the big thing that I struggle with still while doing this is pushing up broken code. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have to get at the end of the day, I'm on the East Coast or on the West Coast. So I push up three hours before they even finished wrapping up. And I literally put up code and I'm like, hey guys, so I have some aborts in here. If you go look at the stuff I'm doing, like all of this is kind of just kind of hanging out. If you want to look at it, go ahead. Well, on this last project, we got really good about picking up each other's work, about going, okay, I'm going to take where you just stopped at. I'm going to hit play. I'm going to look at what you were doing. And I'm just going to add a whole bunch of code to what you've been coding. So I would come in the morning and I would have written like maybe started a class. And in that class, I had like a few methods that were doing something. And he would take my idea and keep adding to it. Mm-hmm. And that blew my mind initially up front. Like the fact that we've... We've laid these guidelines out well enough, structured what we want to do, have like got a good plan in place that I can halfway write something and someone can come behind me and they can pick up and keep writing on top of it because we know what the goal is and we know what we're doing. So then I pick it up in the morning. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep going with this part. Like we're on it. And in the afternoon, like we resync and it works really well. But there are days if anybody is off their game. It's exhausting because like, like last week or was it week before last? I just, I wasn't feeling people not wanting to communicate. I've been sick. I don't want to talk to people. So the last thing I want to do is sit and talk about like how I'm thinking through this problem. I just want to mindlessly like write code and not worry about anything else. But when you're pair programming, you can't do that. You have to like continuously communicate to each other about the status of things. So I'm finding really good benefits with like pair programming these projects, but I'm also seeing like the downside and the insecurity of having to like have my code always out there, even in a broken state. Like it's, I'm on both sides of it. And Mm. I have two questions for you. So it sounds like you're not doing what Tim just described. No, it's different. It's different. Yeah. I was was going to say, congratulations. You just invented relay race programming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Congratulations. It's a new thing. It'll be the, it'll be the hot, the hotness of, of, of 2022. So I could see if we were sitting in an office together. So if the three of us were sitting physically in an office together, mm-hmm. granted, we wouldn't touch each other's keyboards because that's just gross. I don't know where your hands totally. have been. I don't want to oh, touch yes, you your do. keyboard. <laughs> hey, I know where your keyboard's been. That's why I don't want to touch it. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to do that. There's no dishwashers here. Yeah. After COVID, nobody's ever going to touch each other's keyboards again. <laughs> exactly. Right? Exactly. You keep them to yourself. So, but I could totally see doing that, like just rotating through code and sitting there talking back and forth through problems and only one person writing code. I could see that functioning. Yeah. The, I, I could see it functioning like over screen, not screen share, but like get on a video chat. And I guess you would probably screen share just to, so the other person can look over your shoulder like they would do if you were in yeah. person. But it, and to your point about pushing broken code, I think that like if you and I were pairing on something and Ben and Tim were pairing on something and they're separate, as long as they don't depend on each other 
directly. We could be working in separate branches and just merge them in when the features are done. And that way you can push your code and you can share that code with each other remotely, working remotely, without pushing it into like, say, main where it affects everybody. So in that regard, I think that is fine. That works. That's a potentially good thing. But the other thing I was going to ask you was you said that it, you can see how uh, it's beneficial when everybody's clicking and if somebody's having an off day, it's bad. Like what are the benefits that you feel like you got from doing this from your relay race programming or pair programming? On these I, know, I, I never get stale. I never get stalled because mm. the minute one of us is like, Hey, I've been on this half the day and we've not made any progress. Everybody knows mm. you're immediately like, okay, I don't want them looking at my code going, you didn't make any progress. Like I want to be able to say, Hey, I, I'm not really sure where to go with this. So let's talk about it. And we resolve things way, way sooner than if I was just doing this whole effort by myself. Mm. Plus it gives me the mindset of three other people to think through the same thing I'm th- I'm thinking through. Mm. So we have for people trying to solve ultimately the big picture, even though maybe we each have our own little box that we're working in, they all have to still unite at the end to make this application. So I get their view of everything they're doing and how it's going to integrate with everything I'm touching. So it sounds like you guys have like sort of a rubber duck system, right? It's a built-in rubber duck kind of system where people can help each other out. But what I don't, what I imagine the, the benefits of true pair programming is you have two people at the exact same time actively engaged oh, their yeah. minds on it, right? So yep. you have, so in real time, you have a person who's driving. A lot of times you just start typing out code. You think that's the best way to do it. And, and in the times in the few troubleshooting type situations where we've done that, someone's looking at me and they're like, Oh, you, you named that argument wrong or right. you caught this wrong or you probably should break that up into multiple oh, yeah. functions rather than one. And that's helpful. What you described, your relay race programming, I don't see that you <laughs> get that, right? Because you're going to run it for, I mean, how long is how long are you writing for? How long am I writing code for? How long does the project last? No, how long are you coding for at a stretch? How long are you driving and writing mm, code before I, you hand it off to someone else? I mean, like th- maybe four hours, I have some code in and then yeah. I push it up. And so, but then you push and somebody else is taking over on that. Are you moving to another thread and working on somebody else's that was Are you have to stop and explain? No, to- it depends. I mean, it, it really depends on the end, on how the day went. I mean, I could pick up and look at something else or I could keep going on what I'm on. But the fact is that when I come in, I can either start working on that or I can look at what someone else put up and go work on what they were doing. Mm-hmm. To me, if I still have work to do, then I can go back to mine. But like if my buddy is like, hey, I'm going to wrap up this piece that you were doing and I'm going to see how that works because I'm curious. He can do that. And then when I come in, it's just there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's smart. I like that. I like how you did it. I'm assuming there's lots of tests there as well. Yeah, lots of tests, lots of tests. I was going to say, I think that the going back to this like traditional definition of pair programming, switching drivers every couple of minutes, I think that would be particularly well suited for TDD. Right. I've been yeah. trying to read this TDD book and I'm dragging my feet on it because I'm not particularly enjoying it, but I'm forcing myself through it. <laughs> and the idea of test like, driven development for anyone who doesn't know what TDD yeah, is. Sorry. That yes. TDD. You know me. <laughs> the idea of like, okay, before we start on this feature, somebody has to write a test and then maybe you swap seats and, yeah. and then you implement the feature and you swap back and write the tests. And I, I could see going back and forth like that. A would work really well. It would kind of like, encourage you to do better TDD and also having those clear breakpoints of, okay, we've finished the test for now. Now we need to go work on the code. That would be like clear indication of time to swap seats too. So they kind of would work well. Mm -hmm. They would dovetail nicely. Dovetail. Dovetail. (laughs) I like that word. Joinery. Uh 
So I yeah. So I mean, imagine if you have written good tests up front, actually first, then maybe the person who's you're handing it off to knows what the outcome should be. Yeah, because so that, they can't change too much to break what you've already done. Because if they get the break, they have to figure out is it a good break? Like, okay, that test was written bad, and we actually went at it the wrong way, or I need to change what I've done because I need to make sure I don't break the test. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so uh, yeah, I can. I guess I can kind of see that. I, I think traditional pair programming. The the benefit is there's not a whole lot of need for stopping and saying, what are we doing and communicating back and forth and figuring something out, which it sounds like you have to do occasionally, right? You have to explain what's going on. You're, if you're both there in the moment, looking at the same code and actually you know, talking about it, yeah. you're doing it at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and you mentioned like screen sharing your code. We actually use live share in VS code. So, yeah, with you it. know, yeah, you can just see everything going on and you can just switch back and forth between the stream of the code versus what you're writing over in your window. So. It, Have you tried really that? Well. Have you guys tried that to say, hey, let's just live stream our code together and actually try real? I don't want to <laughs> diminish what you're doing here, but it's not pair programming. <laughs> My relay programming is what yeah. we'll call it. Yeah. yeah. No, we have with a couple things. And so whenever we create our plant UMLs, whenever we do that, we do them over live share. So we set on a call and someone's coding it while we're actually creating the design of everything. And we're breaking out the entire diagram of how the flow is going to work and, and putting in all the layers. We do that over live. So the initial build up front we do. And obviously that's writing code, but it's slightly different than writing mm. the application code. But yeah. One of the things you had said early on was that because you had such a good plan going into the development process, that kind of helped you through it. Do you think that pair programming is hindered by not having a clear spec leading into the programming process? Absolutely. If you don't know what you're doing, it's hard enough for one person to accomplish a known job. It's put four people on it and you're just going to butt heads the whole time because you have no clear goal of where you're going or any idea how to accomplish unknown said goal. You're awfully quiet over there, Ben. I think the, the thing that trips me up the most is this idea that someone would just finish work that Carol started or that Carol would <laughs> finish work someone else started. I feel like I'm just an emotional child when it comes to my code. And I have this <laughs> extreme sense of ownership. Yep. And, I, and, and if I came in one day and someone was just like, oh, I saw some of the stuff you're writing. So I just added a bunch to it. I'd be like, serenity now. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Good point. Like circle back to that. That's what happened up front when I switched over and started working like this because I've never done this before in my life. I've never worked like this. It was an insult. I immediately went, my code's not good enough. Why are you even looking? Like, what's going on here? Like, did I messaged someone and was like, did I not do something right? And I was like, no, I just wanted to keep it going. I was like, oh, okay. So I can calm down. You know, my blood pressure can drop a little bit. (laughs) But there's like the attachment to it. So it took me a long time to go from it's mine to it's my team's. This is my team's. So when someone does good, nobody does good. Our entire team does good. It's, it's res- a whole different mindset. That. And I love it. I will say I love it's. I, I don't want to go back to just coding on my own always all the time again. I love working with people like this, like where we're sharing the same like, effort and the same code that we're trying to to deliver. I think maybe something that gets in my way is I am I'm not good about asserting 
hard suggest. No, I don't know how to say this the right way. I don't, I am not good at telling people that their code could be better because I have so much insecurity about this idea that I have a better way to do something. So I will look at code that someone else wrote and I, and, and what I could say in my own mind is I would never write it this way if I were the <laughs> one writing it, but I don't have confidence to tell you that I think you can improve it based on my feelings. Cause I'm always like, it's working. I couldn't point to something and say, this is going to cause a problem necessarily in the future. I just have a sense that, that there's some problems here. It could be more efficient or something. Yeah. I don't know. I just, or or you could just ask, why are you doing it that particular way? Not that you're criticizing. Explain to me. I don't understand. Why is that? We all know what that really means, Tim. Okay. Yeah. We all know. That's so aggressive. Yeah. Well, so, and and I think because I have so much insecurity about giving people's strongly worded feedback. I don't know what the right term there is that I think it, it because of that, I don't play well with others because <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know how to negotiate that sort of workflow. So I, it's like, I have to have ownership over the whole code because I don't know how to help other people improve their code. If I don't agree with it, I don't, I do as Tim was saying in the last episode, I will disagree and commit instead of giving people like real actionable advice. No, you will avoid disagreeing and commit. <laughs> yeah. That's what I just heard. I will Go. quietly disagree and actively In your commit. own mind. <laughs> and see, I'm okay with getting those questions. And I think I am more like you on that point. Like, I don't want to ask people every time, like, why did you do it that way? Or what was your approach to that? I just kind of accept it and go on. But um, that's not the case with almost every other engineer on my team. They will all ask and they'll ask in the PR where everyone's on it. Like, why did you do it this way? And I'm like, you could have just messaged me. Now everybody's going to know. <laughs> that's a, that's actually a really good thing that I like to bring up every opportunity that I get, which is if you have criticism for somebody, bring it to them in private. If you mm-hmm. have praise for somebody, bring it to them in public. Oh, nice. see, I like that. I like that. So, Yeah. I love this thing that we're doing. I just want to say that like what we're doing is really fun and it's really helpful until like, I don't want to talk to someone that's not so great. It's certainly interesting. So going back to like agilealliance.org where they're talking about, they talk about some of the common pitfalls. The funniest one I think is the last one. They said you can't force it upon people. No, especially there's relationship issues, including the most mundane, such as personal hygiene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Standing next to someone who smells like butt all day. Yeah. Yeah. It does get, you got to solve those first before you can effectively pair program. Uh, on the after show, when we had Sean on, we talked briefly about TV and, and the TV show Billions. And just last night we watched, so because of that, my wife and I have started watching it. And we watched the episode where the lady is like, uh, do you still have emergency deodorant in your office? And he's like, yeah, do you need some? And she's like, no. You do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you. (laughs) The other thing that I think would make pair programming challenging for my particular way to work is that I find that I have to just sometimes stare off into space or stare mm-hmm. at my desk or stare at the screen and then just kind of go into thinking mode for a few minutes in order to wrap my head around a problem or to try and kind of game out some possible approaches in my head. I feel like the way I work is almost I create this buffer in my head of the stuff I want to create. And then I spend like the next 15 minutes trying to get it out of my head and onto the screen. And once that's done, then I go back to buffering code in my head for a while and then i 
vomited out onto the screen again. So it's I, I have these like starts and fits. What is it, like fits and stops? Yeah. I don't know what the right fits term. and starts. starts and fits. Yeah, starts yeah. and fits. Yeah, parts and pits. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. You just have to communicate that. And yeah. see, that's how I work with one of my best friends, and he he will message me and be like, Carol, shh, I need one minute. <laughs> I will message you when I comprehend everything you just said. I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go make coffee. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I've been, I, I, what I struggle with when I'm starting something that particularly that's kind of open and, and not, I just try to figure out what is the smallest unit of task that I can accomplish. Right. It yep. just, can I do a call to something? Can I get a return on something and then build from there? But one of the other things that this article I was looking at here is, talks about is that, and maybe it's kind of what Carol was talking about is that the driver and possibly both programmers are ex- expected to keep a running commentary. So kind of programming out loud. So the driver gets silent and just starts mm-hmm. going on the keyboard. The navigator should be like, Hey, Talk to me out loud. What, what are you thinking? thinking? What, what are we doing here? What mm-hmm. are you trying to accomplish with this function or this this thing you're doing? And not everybody can do that. Some people need to write code with like their headphones in and music blare and like they can't have a conversation, a dialogue while they are actually writing code. So not for everybody, but if it is for you, it's great. And it does address the, the they talk about the doubling the cost, which immediately in my mm-hmm. mind, that's the first thing that comes. And they said that mm-hmm. you should. It, it's a misconception mm-hmm. equating programming with typing. Which yeah, th- that is very true. Yes. A lot. Of, I can't tell you how many times I've typed a whole lot and then we said back, 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 back. Control Z, Control Z, Control Z. Delete. Forty minutes of typing gone, and then I realize I can do it in five minutes of typing. So yeah, it, th- that's what you're hoping to avoid with pair programming is that you have someone else who is uh, the navigator is going, wait a minute, we're doing way too much boilerplate here. We're, you're solving the same problem multiple places. Let's reevaluate what we're doing and addressing it quickly uh, because you have someone else kind of being the immediate code quality control in real time. Yeah, brings it back in. But both have to be actively engaged. You can't have just one person checking their emails while someone else is typing. No, you have to be on the same project, definitely, if you're actually doing what you're talking about, where we're just kind of at points we're like that, but not to that level. The other thing is you said the cost, right? I can't tell you how many times I have not here previously been told, we'll just throw more people at the problem and you'll get it done faster. Right. That is not what this is about. Like This is about getting it done right in the most effective way, and it's building it together. So it, it doesn't make it any faster because you put two people or four people on it. it you're still going to have the same deadlines, the same delivery dates, but I feel like the quality is better because there's multiple eyes on it at all times. Well, I mean, I, I mean, if I had someone standing on my shoulder all the time and just told me whenever I spelled the word arguments wrong, <laughs> I, I would increase by like 30%. I've had so many times I'm like debugged an issue where I just spelled a variable wrong. slightly differently yeah. and my eye didn't catch it. Well, I mean, there are spell check plugins for VS Code. Or yeah. You're not using I'm not using that VS Code other yet. thing. Yeah, I'm using that other thing. I'm waiting for the other thing to go to VS Code. We worked at, we had a big project at work maybe a year and a half ago. And on my team, most of the projects are one person. So if we have four people on our team, we're typically working on four completely separate projects. We had this high priority project that we had to get done. So we put three people on it at the same time, which was like unprecedented for our team. <laughs> and and we rocked it out in like a week and a half. 
which which was crazy because of the amount of stuff that it had to do. But um, looking at the code, it's kind of bananas. Every each person's code that they wrote is so wildly different than the other person's code, just in terms of general practices and methodology. So you'll be working in one part, updating some, I'm talking about like a year later now, and then you have to go into the other person's code that they wrote. And you're like, oh, this is so different. And now like, I had to lint it. (laughs) And it's not even, and I was going to make a joke about linting, but it's not even, it's it's like, that's not even the kind of stuff that linting would capture. It's really just like fundamental. Like style. Yeah. Somebody, mm-hmm. somebody really prefers functional programming. Somebody really hates functional programming. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that kind of stuff. So it, it had one person taken the time to write all of this stuff and granted it would have taken, let's say three times as long for sake of discussion. It would have had a uniformity and it would have been, it would have fit together in a, and I think a much more seamless way. So you lose time, but you, I think it probably would have added to the maintainability. And readability. Yeah. So, but I, I will say now going back to kind of what Carol was saying about you're constantly having to check in with other people and review the code and talk about the code. We didn't do any of that. Yeah. We basically had some un- upfront design mm-hmm. said, you go do this, you go do this and I'll go do this. And then we merged it all together. And if it worked from a user experience standpoint, we're like, good next project. So we didn't have that refinement or review step, which I think probably would have helped a lot, but. We were just trying to, we were just trying to rip it out as fast as we could. Yeah. I mean, we would have to sit and talk about just like our model of everything. So we'd like be in our open API file, like putting in our model changes. And as I'm changing how our auth is saving things and what we're using for it and what I'm actually using in like email body contents and things like the other developers needing to know because he's handling all the uh, notification and queue side of everything. So he's like, I need to know the model changes. I mean, we just have to constantly be yeah. in communication about what's going on and why. And there were times he would add things and I'd be like, I don't know if we actually need this. Let's think about it. We'd add it and play with it for a little while and be like, yeah, you don't need it. Or I would add something and then three of us be like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Take that back out and we're going to go a different way with it. And if I would have been doing it all myself, those would have been laid in and at the final end of it, you're stuck with it. There's no one doing some of that stuff when you get to the last bits of the code because you've done wound everything so so much together that it's needed. Whereas if you two days into it that this doesn't make sense, you can undo it and change your plans. Something that I think you said in there, and I'm I want to give you credit for that, but that maybe got lost <laughs> in some of the other stuff you said, was that by pairing, it makes code review easier because oh, you've yeah. seen it before, right? You are already familiar with this code. And so mm-hmm. by like if Maybe four people are pair programming on the same thing at different times or whatever. And, and you're all really familiar with the code. Then you just have to kind of give it a, a quick once over all of yep. you. And if everybody's happy, then that's because you've already functionally designed it together, the functionality and the core layout of it. Yep. Yeah. That, that was a, a, a non obvious benefit to me. And I wanted to, to pull that out and thank you. Cause yes, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever find that pair programming ends up making the code? more complicated and and let me caveat that with some further explanation which i think if i were to write code on my own i'd be willing to make more shortcuts and calculated trade-offs like i might write code that's not great with the idea kind of going back to what you were saying where i don't know if i'm going to need this in the long run i want to get something in there just to start playing around with it and i'll come back to it or refactor it later if i need to and I, and I wonder if when you're pair programming, because you have someone else's eyes on your code the whole time, 
would that person jump in at, at that point and say, hey, actually, that's not going to be very flexible, or maybe we should refactor it to be something that's more dynamic in the future. And 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 you end up kind of investing more into the quote unquote elegance of the code, maybe too early. Right. Does that ever happen? Architecture, astronauting it or something. Yeah, I am the person who overcomplicates things and thinks about the problems that can and might happen that one time in the future. So I overcomplicate <laughs> things up front and they actually back that out. They're like, you <laughs> nice. are going too far into this and this nice. is a one-off error. We're just going to catch yeah, the yeah, error yeah. and it's okay if one time in a year this happens, it's not worth the amount of code you're putting into it. So for me personally, it, it goes the opposite way. They so- rein me back in. <laughs> Ben, while you were describing that situation, I couldn't help but think that there was like some, that it was kind of maybe motivated by like a fear of judgment by the person that you're pair programming with, right? So like, oh, I don't maybe, want to think I'm lazy. Maybe yeah. not that, maybe not that, that harsh, but like they're like, you're thinking in your head that they're going to be looking over your shoulder and thinking, oh, this is the wrong way to code it, right? There's a right way and a wrong way and you're doing it the wrong way sort of thing. Mm. But I think that the opposite could also be true, right? Like that person could be there helping you recognize this is a situation we don't need it twice yet let's not make it reusable right 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 well and i think it comes back to what tim was saying earlier about having to have that constant two-way communication yeah where i i think what you're saying is i have an internal dialogue and i'm afraid that the other person (laughs) is not going to know what i'm trying to do or not know what i'm trying to think which is probably what i would end up doing (laughs) if i were to actually just stop and say hey i'm going to write some shifty code here for a minute because I don't know what it's going to be like in the long run. Like, let's readdress this tomorrow once we get a better sense of how it all fits together. If I just took a minute to actually say that out loud and get everyone on the same page, then then I think we could yeah, that, negate that sounds those like feelings. Yeah. Exactly what you should be verbalizing during mm-hmm. this pair program. I mean, I'm not an expert in pair programming, but based on what we've talked about here tonight, the, the, the expectation that you're going to sort of narrate your coding process, that sounds like exactly what you should be saying. Yeah. Yeah. Have you heard of ping pong programming? A variant of it? That was a term that I threw out there when we were discussing the possibility of this topic and our experience levels. But yeah, so I mean, it's apparently so if you combine pair programming with test development, you have one person write a test and then the other person write the code. And then you either see if you fail or pass it. And then you, whenever you switch over, you hand the keyboard back over and now. They write the another test, and you write the code, or vice versa. You can swap out. So that's what they call ping pong program, which I think is probably good for like maybe if you have a beginner with someone who's more experienced. Right, the experienced person writes the test, and they go, "All right, see if you can pass the test." And then the the beginner goes and tries it, and if they struggle, you're there to, to walk help walk them through it. But it's an interesting. I mean, I'm not opposed to this whole idea. It's just like I've never been in an organization where this was. Uh, encouraged Hmm. yeah yeah this is the first time for me i'm gonna do it again tim something you just said that i think maybe (laughs) wasn't quite as obvious as it could have been was that this is a good opportunity for mentorship oh yeah for sure yeah yeah or good technique for mentorship and and that so i I would say we probably did something akin to pair programming we have new employees right so someone just stands over your shoulder and you talk out what you're doing and sometimes (laughs) i'd swap out with them and say all right you you hop on the keyboard and fix this, what do we need to do here? And then walk them through it and then just go back and forth. But I mean, that wasn't a permanent paradigm, right? That was sort of the first month of employment for them to get them up to speed. Just when you said like, when you have a new person on the team and you're going to stand over their shoulder 
as they're starting to program, I just couldn't help but picture and Ren and Stimpy, the guy that would be like, oh, isn't that cute? But it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or, or someone just staring at show and going, hello, Clarice. <laughs> what about the just practicalities of being available for someone else? So we all work from home, at least currently. Yep. And there's the, the dog is coming in and out or needs a walk or my wife needs to talk to me or I get pulled into a Slack conversation about something that's urgent or I'm in the middle of a deployment and that's having issues. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of just background noise of the day. And it's one thing if it's just one person and they get sidetracked, but if you get sidetracked and there's someone else just sitting there waiting for you to come back, that's, it seems very unfair to them. So I, maybe you just have to be super disciplined. You flip your, your on air light and no one can come into your office and talk to you about anything. I, I don't know. So. We don't, we are very, let me see how to say this quickly. We push for no shoulder tapping. So if I'm working through the day, it's very rare that my director of engineering, my PMO or my lead is going to shoulder tap me for anything. We Mm -hmm. plan ahead of time. So the emergencies, if you're Zen master, you're going to get the emergencies and you know they're coming. If you're the lead, you're, you're going to know. And if you've pushed a project out, then you know that they could land on your plate. But other than that, we don't do a lot of shoulder tapping. So that does make it good. And if I do hit a point where I'm blocked, I say that I'm like, Hey, I really need like a set of ears or a pair of eyes on this right now because I am at a point where I'm blocked. And if the person I'm directly like working with, there's four or five of us in it right now. So if someone isn't like that, someone who isn't immediately on this with me, someone else can jump in and go, Hey, let's just talk for a minute. So I, mean, I haven't had a point where I've been blocked. If so, I go read for an hour and wait for someone to come back. Mm. And then I'm like, all right, I have a better idea of at least my questions now. So you give a list of people there that will definitely not come tap you on the shoulder. Does that, mm-hmm. you didn't say, and I want to know, does it include your peers, the other people working on the same project as you? Oh, no, I mean, if, if we're on the same project, we slack each other all day long. Okay. Hey, what do you gotcha. think about this? And that's where I told you, like, my best friend is like, hey, shh, just a minute. I need to think. <laughs> and I'm like, cool. Is this like coffee think or I'll catch you after lunch think? And he'll tell me like up front, here's where I am. I'm in the middle of something like whatever it is. We just were pretty open about yeah. timing on things. I think it takes some time to build up that kind of rapport with people, but yeah. it's very valuable once you do. Absolutely. And this team is very open with each other. So that helps. So I definitely get interrupted all day long. I used to. At, at all my previous jobs, I would come home feeling like I didn't get any work done because all I did was just handle everybody else's stuff or answer questions for people. So then I would want to write a bunch of code when I got home because I didn't feel productive. I don't have that now. I actually have a good setup to where I don't get shoulder tapped a lot. I, I think going back to my failure at the top of the show, I think part of that, part of why I'm feeling so run down lately is my team is basically me at this point. And because of that, all we, we can't, there's no one to absorb new tasks other than me. And it's not even just absorbing the new tasks. It's absorbing the categorization and backlogging tasks that I'm not even going to work on at this time. I, I was in a call earlier this week, like a status call for a particular project. And it's a project I haven't even started. And they're asking me for an update. I said, well, the good news is I just finished a project which means that I have only one more project <laughs> ahead of you guys in my queue. <laughs> so it's, it's been, it's been exhausting lately. Well, I hope it gets better. 
Yeah, I think it's the fall, right? We're deep into the fall now by a day. So mm-hmm. pretty excited about that. I'm excited to whip out my sweatshirt soon. My lawn is already covered in leaves. Yeah, this is the good season. It was a nice crisp day here mm-hmm. in Georgia. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, then I guess this is the part of the episode where I let you know that this episode of Working Code was brought to you by Terrible Fruit-Based Puns. <laughs> You're welcome. And listeners like you, if you like what we're doing here, you might want to consider supporting us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com slash pod. And we are grateful for every single one of our patrons. We are super grateful for every single one of our listeners. Thank you guys for listening. In exchange for the money they're giving us, we try to give our patrons something in return. So everybody gets an invite to our Discord server. We like to hang out and chat. We spend a lot of time bike shedding on linting today, manual linting. And so just that's the sort of thing you can expect in there. Game night. Don't forget game oh, night. We yeah. had a great time this last game night. We played everyone as John. I'm really sad that I missed that. It was really good. It was fun. Adam Cameron, his goal was to try to get to teach a yoga class. And mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a one page role play game. It's super simple to play. It was really fun. We have to play it again. We have to play again. Yep. I'm looking forward to it. So I want to make sure that we send a special thank you to our top patrons, Monty and Peter. Thank you guys, especially for your support. Um, yep, Monty, you achieved world peace during, <laughs> during everybody's John. So congratulations. <laughs> Good job, I guess. I have no idea what that means, but okay. And for everybody else, if paying for podcasts isn't your thing, that's not a big deal. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And there's, if that's something you're interested in, there's free ways that you can help us out too. You can share the show with your friends and your coworkers, or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please send us show topics and questions on Twitter or Instagram, and you can find us there at Working Code Pod, or you can call us and leave a message at 512-253-2633. That's 512-253-CODE. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember guys, your heart matters. Even if you fail to roll for initiative on everyone is John. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I have no idea what that means, but it sounds funny. You will learn. Be a patron, you'll find out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code.